Why don't you lift your hands and now your words be the song. Extol the majesty of God, the sovereignty of God. My King, my Savior, my Creator. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Which was, which is, and will be to come. My Alpha, my Omega. From A to Z, everything I need. My beginning, my end. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. something about seeing and using words that attempt to describe his majesty. It is powerful. I'm glad we can use simple words sometimes, but sometimes I need to stretch the limits of the English language in an attempt to figure out and to understand and describe the God that has so daily touched my life. When you drive in the car, and it doesn't happen very often, my wife and, and those that know me know I'm pretty dead inside, but every once in a while, His majesty shatters the calm of a car ride. And the tears begin to roll down my face as I realize he's holy. He's holy. He's awesome. He's amazing. He's powerful. He's magnificent. He's phenomenal. He's incredible. He, he goes beyond the limits of my thoughts and about the time I begin to dream and, and, and think of it, he steps beyond that. He is incredible. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is here and I believe his presence is here. I'll let you step back to your seats. These are these moments where I could very easily and I've prayed I don't want to ever force something or, or, or manipulate a service but I could very easily just let y'all worship. And it would be absolutely in order but remember the word of God is for you and I. Worship is for him. And when you have worshipped and when you have given him your all, there comes a place where your heart, your mind, and your soul is ready to receive. You've poured out, and so now the, the, the very nature of a vacuum is when you pour out, something else can rush in to fill. And I believe God wants to speak to you today in the same 
vain of what we feel seeing his glory but but I'd like to take his glory and figure out a way brother sponsor to make it even more personal you can be seated if you'd like technology is amazing it's pretty cool anything and everything you need is at the fingertips in your phone until I want it and then it doesn't work any elders maybe young people but any elders in the building remember an incredible singer songwriter pastor champion of the faith brother Merle Ewan I got a bunch of his records I have a record that's never even been opened yet I wanted to play it. He he sung on on the Gaither uh, homecoming, one of their videos. And you can go to YouTube and see it all day long. The problem is YouTube hates ProPresenter, which is the program that puts words on the screen and videos on the screen, and YouTube won't talk to ProPresenter. I couldn't figure out how to pull it off. And not that I could by any stretch of imagination sing like Merle. But the words and the voice and the song needs to be heard today. It's been a long time since Sister Buford and I sang. We used to do it all the time. Every service evangelized. It's been crazy around the Buford household lately. Just a gazillion and gazillion things going on. And I didn't want to give her any more to do because see I'm last minute that's how I roll I know exactly what I want to do at the very last minute that I can plan for it but all this week this song has been the forefront of my mind and so I, I, I talked to dad dad's my resident old song expert we couldn't find a chord chart for this song. And so he's like, Brandon, I, I can't play it. It's, it's, I need a chord chart. And I looked and looked. Finally, I found a, a track that you could sing and on it. And early this morning, my wife goes, well, why don't you ask me to play? I said, I didn't think about that. But she happened to have our, our, our Charlotte, one of y'all, the, the, the resident old song experts, had the old the chords. And I want to just sing this, not, not necessarily because I want you to hear me sing, but because I want you to hear the words. And I want to take a journey in the words written by Sister Ewing and sung so ably by Brother Ewing. Stood a pure and holy God, and in awesome solitude he stood alone. Not one faint star to give him light, just endless rolling. Somehow 
through all the darkness he could see he saw mountains high and lofty he saw valleys lush and green he saw babbling brooks while flowers grow he even heard a robin sing but he felt a strange compassion so close to love as pain could be standing out there in his tomorrows There is an awesome presence of God that's in this place. Would you give me just a moment not to belabor the point, not to push a long time because I think he wants to speak to individuals. 
Could I just tell you for just a moment, he's the God who sees you. The God who sees you. You can be seated. Genesis chapter 16 begins to open with the story, and I'm not going to read it, but it begins to open with the story of Hagar. Hagar, the bondservant of, of Sarah, and if you know the history of Genesis, you understand that Abraham and, and Sarah had the promise of God that they were going to bear children, many children, as many as the sand is on the sea or stars in the sky. And somewhere in the midst of all of that, the promise of God seemed to have failed to come through as fast as Abraham and Sarah desired it to happen. And so Sarah goes to Abraham and in the strict legal sense, nothing wrong with it. I would think there's a moral sense that was probably there as well. But Abraham or Sarah goes to Abraham and says, Abraham, perhaps uh, I'm the problem. We can't have this promise. And so I give you my handmaiden. I give you my servant. I give you my slave. And Abraham goes in with Hagar. And Hagar begins or, or, or conceives. And, and as she is... Pro progressing in this, this child uh, uh, that's growing inside of her, Sarah gets mad and angry and jealous and friction begins to happen. And, and Sarah uh, uh, goes and, and says, I'm done. And Abraham trying to walk two roads and, and, and it, it's not going to work. You can't have two women in the same house. It's not going to happen. And Abraham finally says, it's your slave. Do whatever you want. And so... Sarah kicks Hagar out. Hagar is wandering in the wilderness. I'm sure she felt shame. I'm sure she felt depression. I'm sure she felt in that desolate place all of the emotions that may have happened. And there the Bible says, verse 7 of Genesis 16, and the Lord, angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water. Angel of the Lord is just a way to say God. It's, it's, it's many times it's not an angel. It's just a way of, of, of describing a God that's hard to be described. And it said, verse 8, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from? Where are you going? Oh, I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarah. The angel of the Lord said, no, don't do it yet. Go back. Be with her. Submit to her. I'll multiply the number of your offspring. They won't be able to be numbered uh, for the multitude. You're pregnant. You'll bear a son. You'll call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He'll be a wild donkey of a man. His hand against everyone and hands, uh, everyone's hand against him. He'll dwell over all of his kinsmen. I want you to understand this. And I, I, I'm well aware of the prophetic push between Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael and Isaac. I understand that Ishmael's not the promise. I get all of that. But in the midst of that story, don't forget that Hagar and Ishmael were real people who at the end of the day, it wasn't their fault to be in the position they were in. 
and Hagar in the midst. In fact, I, I looked through the Bible. Someone in, in my study, someone mentioned it, and I didn't want to just take their word, so I began to go and read. And best I can tell, every time Sarah or Hagar, I'm sorry, every time Sarah or Abraham talk about Hagar, they never use her name. Your servant, my servant, my slave, your slave. They didn't even name her. And in the midst of her darkest hour, God shows up and calls her by name Hagar. As best I can tell, this might be one of the only places in the Bible where someone literally named an attribute of God. There are other places where you find it, but this is one of those places. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. You can go read it. it, it it'll give you, you. You can read it in the Hebrew, but I can't pronounce the Hebrew. It's something along the lines of L-E-L-R-A, or R-O-I, the God who sees. He never sleeps, the Lord I serve. He never slumbers. He's always aware of you and me. He can stand on the precipice of heaven and look down upon a world of over 7 trillion people. And, and even more than that, he can look through all of the uh, 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 historical records and, and, and all of the generations and he sees you. He knows you. He cares for you. Anybody know what three months from today is? What is it? Christmas. I woke up this morning and I got the first thing I do almost every morning after, I mean, I know I tell you I pray and, and, and read my Bible and I do, but, but here, here's how my day almost always works. I wake up, I go to the kitchen, and hopefully it's all ready and I push brew on the coffee. Hallelujah. It's biblical. No, it really is biblical. Hebrews. And so I, I brew that, that cup of coffee or, or that, what? Well, my wife gets it ready, but he brews. I mean, I got to be biblical. And so I, I get there, and while that, that, that pot of coffee is making, I grab my journal, and, and I will write today's date in it, and I will, will write the, ver or the, the, the chapters of the Bible that I'm going to read about that time, the coffee is done. I pour myself a cup of coffee. I sit hopefully on the deck if the weather is nice, and I read that. And when I wrote today, September 25th, my heart leaped within me. It's Christmas time. And yes, I am a sucker for Christmas. Currently targeting... Walmart wants you to celebrate Christmas while dressed like a pilgrim and putting on a witch's hat because all three of them are currently being sold at the moment. But it's more than the Christmas trees and the wrappings. It's because it's the power, the majesty, the full force of the incarnation that reverberates through my mind today. 
to realize that there was a God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were, He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by, through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made, and in Him was life, and the life was the light of the men, and the light shone in the darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it or could not over. It. And I think about everything that's happened in this service, this powerful worship, people on their face bowing in the presence of God, people with hands lifted, tears running down their face, people trying to envision a great God and to realize that God saw me. I'm not a Greek scholar. By no means am I a Greek scholar. One day I may go back and finish a master's, and if so, maybe I'll learn a little more. But I do know this. In the beginning was the word. That, that, that word, word, in the Greek is translated logos. And, and I, I, can't, I can't do it justice. In fact, I know we have some brilliant men and brilliant ladies in this building, some great theologians, and I dare say, I don't care how long you've gone to school, you're never going to give it justice to what logos really means. But Logos was the Greek understanding. And if I had to describe it in my limited vocabulary, if I had to describe it in the knowledge that I have, and I, I call one of my, my theologian mentors, Brother Littles, and I or, or texted him early this morning, and he answered. He must have been up as early as I was. And he said I was right, so I'm right. <laughs> Made me feel good. Sometimes I've told him something. I said, hey, I'm going to preach this. And he goes, eh, I wouldn't. <laughs> but Logos, the understanding is this. Logos, in a very simplistic way, is the idea or reason and the fulfillment of a thought-out plan. In the beginning was the plan of God. In the beginning, he knew in his infinite knowledge, he saw you, he saw me, he saw us sinful, he saw us rebellious, he saw us broken, he saw us fallen, and he saw us lost. And so in the beginning, God created man, and God created man in his image, Genesis 1 and 2, but he also saw that image in which he created man be marred at the hands of disobedience and marred at the hands of sin. And so, in the beginning, God had a plan. He had a plan not because things had happened yet. He had a plan because he saw me. He saw you. And John 1, 14 says, and that plan, that thought, that logos became flesh. It's why, please turn in your Bibles, if you will, with me, that I would tell you that he saw you before the worlds were formed. He saw you before Satan ever tried to strike up a rebellion in heaven's court. He saw you before there were waters that were parted upon the earth. He saw you before the sun ever dared to show its face. He saw you and me. He predestined you. 
oh, scary word, I get it. But it's because man has corrupted that word so bad. Let me uncorrupt it by reading you the word of God. Romans chapter 8, and we'll start at verse 28. It says, well, you know what, let's go back to 18. Start there. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, and it's not creation's fault. That rose cries every day that it's got thorns wrapped around it. The ground weeps that it takes a lot to make it grow. If you weren't here Wednesday night, go back and listen to the sermon Wednesday night. And I'll tell you a little bit about the curses that God put on the earth. It's not the earth's fault that the earth is cursed. It's Adam and Eve's fault. And so the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of Adam and Eve who subjected it. And so in hope. That the creation itself might be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Did you know there's one day I read it today. I don't remember now if it was in Isaiah that I read or if it was in uh, Zephaniah. But one of those chapters I read today and it talks about in the end the lion will start to eat grass again. The lion wasn't designed originally to kill things. But mankind messed a whole lot of stuff up. The lion one day is going to lay down back with the lamb and they're not going to, the lamb's not going to be food. And creation is waiting, longing for it to be free. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth to now. And it's not only creation that groans, but humanity groans, waiting. We, we've got the first fruits of the Spirit and we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we're saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we don't see, we'll wait with it for patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know how to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself will intercede for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are according to his purpose. Now here's where I wanted to get to. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among the brothers and whom he predestined, he also called. And to whom he called, he also justified. And to whom he justified, he also glorified. Can I just tell you that before Adam and Eve were even created, God knew you. And he predestined you. He said, I want you saved. I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. Before there was even a word of repentance, before anything had ever died, before Satan began to slither his forked tongue into humanity's conscience, there was a God that stood on the heaven's gates and he said, I'm waiting for a day. I'm predestining you to be conformed. I know it's messed up. I made you in the image of God and it's all messed up. So I'm going to remake you one day. I'll let you be reborn one day. 
in the image of God. What about Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Wow. Do you understand the weight, the gravity of that verse? Before the world was formed, he wanted you to be holy and blameless. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to his will and to the praise of his glorious grace, which he blessed us in the beloved. In him, in Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose that he set forth in Christ as a plan. There's that word, the plan. For the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we've obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He planned your salvation before the cross ever existed. He planned your salvation before a tree had ever grown. That one day, that tree's great, 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 great grandfather was going to get cut down and made into the old rugged cross. But the problem is that plan had to take a moment. That plan had to get to the place. See, in Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about the fact that you and I are predestined, that before we were even born and before uh, the world was formed, God chose us. But Ephesians chapter 2 says, but you are dead in your sin and trespasses. We didn't go according to plan. Have you ever made something or made a recipe and it didn't go according to plan? I don't know what famous author wrote it, but the best laid plans of mice or men often go astray. God created you and I. And through the fall of man, he said that I'm going to have to, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to come back. I'm going to have to plan this. And so in the fullness of time, maybe it was December 25th. At least that's where we celebrate it. But God became flesh dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the or glory as of the only begotten of the Father and the Spirit, full of grace and truth. And that plan came to proficient. It came to pass. The story is told of Dr. R.G. Lee. He was a pastor, I believe, in the Chicago area. It's been a, from what I understand, he's been dead a long time, but he took a trip and he visited Jerusalem for the first time. I, I saw Sister, Sister Sharon and talked to her early this morning, or, or when she got in early this morning, I said, you know what, this, this makes me think of, of your dad, Brother, Brother Ward Sponsler. If I ever talked about Jerusalem in a sermon, as soon as I got done, he'd come find me. First off, he'd tell me it was the best sermon he ever heard, ever time. And then he would say, have you ever been to Jerusalem? You need to go. 
He'd always talk about, he, he was able to go several times, but... R.G. Lee went to Jerusalem and he was there with this tour and they were there in the garden of the tomb. And suddenly the story tells that he broke away from the, the group and he began to run ahead faster than the tour guide and all of that until he came to the place where you can clearly see the indentions, what, what they would call the, the skull, Golgotha's rock seems to kind of looked like a skull and they would call it the place of the skull and he, he got to a place where there at the garden tomb he could see Calvary's hill beginning to open up when the rest of the tour group caught up to him they found him kneeling down facing Calvary's hill here tears running down his face and the guide looked at him and said have you ever been here before to know the path and the place and it said that R.G. Lee said, oh yes, I've been here before. 2,000 years ago, I was here in the heartbeat of Jesus. And I was here on his mind as he hung on that cross. Revelation 13.8 talks about Jesus, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. There was a day, there was a time. Go read your Bible. It will tell you the exact time that Jesus died. So it wasn't that he was slain somehow way back in antiquity. No, it meant in the beginning was the plan. In the beginning was the answer for you and me. In the beginning and all of the majesty of heaven, he made a way that one day, if you would ever become like him, he would first become like you. We had a group of men just a few, two weeks or so, go to men's conference. Brother Rob, Brother Ron, Brother Justin, Brother Bruce, Brother Lee. Went to men's conference. It was a great time. Men, if, if. Just put it in your calendar. I don't remember. I don't have my 23 dates, but I do know this. It's going to be Thursday night, Friday, and Saturday, somewhere around September 15th. I think September 15th may be the Friday, but just make plans. But while we were there, Brother Harold Hoffman gave this illustration, and I had already been writing in my notebook. Brother Merle Ewan's song had already been playing for days and days, and Brother Harold Hoffman gave the illustration. He said, our life is like a parade. And every moment of our life, if you will, is like a float or a marching man. How many, how many of you have ever seen a parade? You know, it, you, you stand in one spot and the parade parades by. And you see only what's right in front of you. That's how our life is. We can only see this moment. We can remember what's already passed, but we can only see this moment. And so it is in life the first floats that pass by, that's our original state. Born in sin, shaped in iniquity, broken, rebellious, and failure. But Brother Hoffman said, but God sees the last float long before it will ever get into your view. 
and God knows your end from your beginning. God will not make you do anything. God will not force you to do anything, but God has predestined you. It is God's desire that when that last float passes in your midst and you take your final breath, that you would take your final breath conformed in the image of God Almighty. That's his We get out of ways. We get out of plans. If you've ever had kids, and, and we're certainly not God with his infinite knowledge and, and, and foreknowledge, but there are moments with my kids that you just know those kids are about to do something stupid. When they're babies, when they're little, you don't let them because it'll hurt them. You don't let them stick the hairpin in the socket. You don't let them touch the hot stove. You don't let them go play in traffic. But at some point, they grow up, and you just know everything you've told them not to do, they're about to do. And at some point, you as a human being just knows they're about to do it. That's foreknowledge. And you say, fine. Same. Go stick the hairpin in the socket. See how it feels. God knows, but God does not control. God knows, yes, if we're going to be saved or not. He absolutely knows the end from the beginning, but he's not going to make you be saved. But he's watching that float get closer and closer to the right now. And his plan, he saw you. I wish I could explain it. I, I wish I could say it better than what I've tried to write down. I, I, I wish I could do it, but, but, but the, the point is this. The old song, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. That's what I'm trying to preach to you, show you in the word of God. He saw you. And he wants you to be like him. And each day we live, that, that end of our train, the end of our parade is getting closer and closer. And as long as that parade float is not directly in front of us in the moment of the present, you've still got time to make it right. And he's waiting. It's bad to give God uh, humanistic qualities, but he's waiting. He can't wait for that moment when you lift up your hands and you let him fill you with his spirit. He can't wait for the moment that you might repent of your sins. He's waiting for the moment that you would be baptized in Jesus' name and let your sins be washed away. Because he saw you. He saw that moment. And he's wondering now if you'll make that moment a reality. Would you stand with me all across this building? This is a Hagar moment. You're in the wilderness. You're, you're running. You're, you're trying to figure out what you're going to do. And maybe no one's taking time to call you by name. But I hear him in the spirit calling your name. He's trying to show you he's the God that sees. He knows where you are. My brother and sister that's walked the path of salvation and, and you've already been filled with the Holy Ghost and you've allowed yourself to be water baptized in Jesus' name and you've repented of your sins. He still sees you. He 
knows how many hairs are on your head. He, he, he knows everything about you. He knows how many breaths you're going to take today and how many times you're going to blink your eyes. He knows you. And he has allowed, Sister LaJoyce Martin wrote a song and he said, all, or she said, all my tomorrows must pass by the Lord because he sees your tomorrow. And he knows what you're going through right now. And he loves you. I wonder if you could lift your hands. The majesty, the power, the presence, the graciousness of God is here. And the only thing that I know to do is to stop preaching, to put the mic down and let you begin to respond to the God who sees you. You're not responding to someone in the distance. You're not responding to some unknown deity. You're not responding to some grand and eloquent dictator that that, that works some sort of cult. You're responding to a God that knows your name. And he loves you. As they begin to sing, as they begin to play, I'm opening these altars. I'm hallowing the ground of this sanctuary from front to back, from left to right, to let this be a place where you meet the God who sees you.